do a PB in the middle of a training session at the end of it after all that climbing was to me the body will perform so much better later if you let it mm. warm up properly. Mm-hmm. So, so if I'd have done that at the start of the session, I can guarantee you I would have got nowhere near that time or the power that I pushed. This podcast is brought to you by Trivelo Coaching, where we help triathletes and cyclists like you train smarter to race faster. I'm your host, Jordan Donnelly, and on my left is former Australian Ironman champion and head coach of Trivelo Coaching, Jared Donnelly. In today's episode, we are talking about how to make a decision about racing when you're just not quite right, especially for your A race. We talk about the New York Marathon and the disaster we saw unfold in the men's side, as well as our main topic for today, which is how to warm up for a race. And whether that's a cycling race, a triathlon or a running race, there are variations in what you should be doing in the warm up. So we're going to be going, to be going through exactly what you need to be do, what you need to do to warm up for your specific race. Dad, welcome to the episode. We're back in the studio today. It feels like home. Now, let's get into it. What are you grateful for? What's my gratitude? Uh, well, good to have you home. Uh, that's that's one. But um, this is completely out of left field. This this gratitude is. Uh, I've been a uh, my both my parents are Scottish. My brothers was born in Scotland, so we've got a real uh, Scottish heri- heritage in our blood. And um, our our favourite team is uh, Celtic um, Football Club. And um, my dad was just a, a passionate man, and, and we've we've really followed in his footsteps, and so have all of um, my children, you, and um, and it so happens that Celtic are coming out to Australia during the World Cup to keep their players in um, form. Uh, they want to keep playing matches, so a lot of the clubs around the world. This is happening everywhere. They're going to play matches. Uh, exhibition matches and it so happens that Celtic are actually coming to Australia to play against Everton who are in the English Premier Division and Sydney FC. They were meant to play Rangers in Australia but that fell through. So when we found out this was happening um, we got tickets and we're off to Sydney to see Celtic play. Um, It doesn't really matter who they're playing we just want to be a part of the atmosphere and uh, all the things that um, that I grew up hearing my dad talk about the the fantastic atmosphere at, uh, at Parkhead, which is Celtic's home ground. And um, a lot of the – for those of you who don't know much about soccer, um, it is one of the, the big clubs of the world. Um, you know, it's in the top 10 clubs of the world um, with – uh, their performances and their supporters are almost second to none. And and if you ever get a chance, get on a YouTube video and uh, put in You'll Never Walk Alone mm-hmm. and just sit there and watch that for five minutes. And that happens before each match when Celtic play. And it's especially uh, when they play in a European Champions League game. Uh, the opposition teams, whether you're Barcelona or Inter Milan or Real Madrid, they love coming to Parkhead to to experience. You'll never walk alone, sung by the fans, um, and it's uh, it's yeah, quite an emotional thing. Uh, and it's it's that's what I'm grateful for. I'm grateful for the team that I've passionately supported my whole life. Uh, I'm sure there'll be some uh, anti-Celtic <laughs> listeners listeners yeah. out there, which is absolutely fine. And and I coach one who's a mad Rangers supporter. Yeah. Um, 
Shout out to Matho up there in Queensland. And, uh, yeah, it's it's one of those things. Uh, it's great to be able to experience it with uh, with our family. Uh, you're coming along as well. And, um, and yeah, we look forward to uh, – and I'm very grateful to get the opportunity to go and watch Celtic uh, in Australia. Yeah, absolutely. My gratitude is uh, more bike-based, although there are no – we always say there's no rules around gratitude. You can be grateful for whatever you want. Um, first time this week back on the time trial bike uh, since about – July. So <laughs> bit of a shock to the legs, bit of a shock to the system, but the time trial bike is so much fun. And we did, um, we've just started our team's time trial training. We've got the nationals coming up in about 10 weeks, the nationals team's time trial, which is always a fun event, which we love going to, and you get to train. We do our Tuesday morning training sessions as a Trivolo group for the team's time trial. Um, and it's just so much fun being in this train that, um, you are flying down the road, on flat sections, you're averaging 48, 50 k's an hour. If it's a slight downhill, it's 55 to 58 k's an hour. Even on the uphills, it's still 40 plus because you're all on time trial bikes, all very aero. Um, the person on the front is grinding for 30 seconds and they swing off and you really feel like a professional team. So very grateful for the time trial bike and uh, to have so much fun to be able to go really fast again. And it's, it's the fastest you'll go on a bike. So it's it's pretty awesome experience. Yeah, i got to say, um, you know, riding a bike is a great thing to do you know, especially when, you know, summer's about to arrive and the sun's on your back. But actually being on a time trial bike is another extension of that because the exhilaration, you feel like a little kid, you're just going so fast. And and in a little group, a little four-man group or three-man group or whatever your team's time trial practice is, and we do variations of that, two-man, three-man, four-man, five-man, six-man, you you just feel like you're an express train going along and, you know, when your turn comes to get on the front, um, you know, it's like, oh, God, I hope I don't slow the team down here mm-hmm. and uh, and you, then you've got to be careful not to overcook yourself so when you swing off, you can actually get back in line. So <laughs> um, so it is a fun thing to do and uh, and that's what bike riding um, is about, you know, enjoying experiences. Moving on to our next segment, which is what has caught your attention and Dad, in our Little niche of sport. What has been? What has caught your attention so far? Geez, it's a tough one this week because I could talk about so many topics. Um, you know, the World Triathlon seventy point three titles that just went by, and uh, what happened in the drafting penalties to Ben Long. Sam Long, yeah. Sam, Sam Ben's brother. Sam. <laughs> <laughs> um, We've got a family friend called Ben Long. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, you know, I could talk about that, but we won't on this episode. Um, but. Uh, yeah, really, um, I suppose my my thing is about making decisions about racing when there's actually something not quite right. And whether it's injury or whether it's sickness, um, you're faced with a tough decision. You've got this A race that you've prepared for for possibly three weeks, possibly 13, possibly a year. And all of a sudden, a day out or two days out or within a week, or even two weeks, you're faced with the possibility that you might not make the start line. So so what's caught my attention is um, we actually had that situation, and it, and it happens all the time. It's just not a one-off thing. This is, this is happening day in, day out to athletes all over the world. Um, and we've always said sometimes it's harder to get to the start line to, than to do the race itself. Um, and we have uh, we've talked a little bit in this podcast, and we're using local events here. And there is a one one gravel race called the Melbourne to Warney, and it's called the Dirty Warney. And we have a Melbourne to Warney on the road 
and we have now Melbourne to Warney for the very first time on the on the dirt. So it's a, a gravel bike race. And one of our coaches has, uh, has been training the house down for this event. And it's part of his preparation for next year when he goes back to Unbound in the US. Um, and he actually felt sick on Friday morning, the day before the race. And we kind of almost dismissed it a little bit. Oh, you'll be right. It's just nerves. And, and as the day progressed, it got worse. And one of the things I've learned is uh, when someone says they've got a tickle in their throat or a sore throat, that's not a, gr- a great sign. That means there is something going on and all the, all the markers, his uh, recovery was worse than it had been. Three days earlier, it was through the roof. Um, his performances two days earlier were all fantastic. And then the day before, everything went the other way. His resting heart rate was up. His uh, recovery data was as low as it's been. It was like he'd been not tapered. It was like he was in a heavy training block. And they're things that are really indicators that something's not quite right. So so what what's caught my attention about that? Well, what do you do? You know, this is a great example for everybody to understand that, you know, you have prepared for this one event um, and you are in the form of your life and you have to make a decision. Will I do the race or will I uh, do the right thing and give it a miss? And Nick even went to the extent of he was at the start in his kit on his bike warming up still going will I won't I and and then eventually he's gone no I, I can't I can't do this race I'm I'm definitely not quite right and I will do a whole lot of bad things as a result of this so so coming to that decision was absolutely the right thing for him to do and why was he still trying to do the event that's that's kind of um, what I want to talk about is because there's so many things you've do, you've done that have been so correct about the preparation and you feel like you're letting yourself down um, because you're not going through with it. And it was his A race for this period. It was absolutely his A race, you know, because his next race, you know, is mid-summer in America, which is April, May, June, July. So it's a stepping stone for that season. Um, and so there's so many reasons as to tell you you should do it because – because everything points towards I'm, I'm supposed to do this event. So, um, so really, he's 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 made the tough decision to step off his bike before he started. And and I, when I spoke to him about two hours later, I just said that is the best decision you've made in in all the time I've known you. That was so tough for you to do that. And you know, we can say he could have done this or he could have done that in the race. But you know, from the positions that he knows the people he's against, he would have been right up there. Um, and you'll never know where someone's going to finish. So you can't predict that and you can't say that, you know, I would have finished this place. That's just never going to be true. Um, you never know what's going to happen in the race. But but the point I'm making is um, two days later, his wife got COVID and and he's still sick and he didn't do the race and, and he's actually, you know, got worse as Saturday, Sunday. But even Saturday during the race and seeing the results, you're saying, oh, maybe I could have done it. But, you know, I'm, I'm sitting there going, no, you've done the right thing. You've absolutely made the right decision. Um, there's so many reasons why that's a good decision. Um, if you had have done the race, let's look at that scenario. Um, if you had have done the race, tell me what your performance would have been like. What, what did you feel out of 10? Did you feel 6 or 7 or 8 or 9 out of 10? He said, oh, I felt, you know, five six seven I said well all the stuff we know and you know that yourself as a coach 
is if you feel six, seven, eight out of ten, that's the only level you can go to without really falling in a hole. So would you be happy with the result if you went into mm. that race, racing at seventy percent of your FTP or sixty percent of your of your uh, your eight or nine hour? Because the, the ride went for eight hours, so it's a two hundred and thirty eight k gravel bike race, which the winners did, you know, around the seven eight hour mark. Um, so, so that's the one thing that makes you feel better is, well, I couldn't have competed at that level. And if I did, what would happen? Well, I would say you would be worse. You would be sicker for longer. And, and if you actually put your body under strain when there's something actually going wrong inside your own immune system, and I've experienced this just recently, then you will actually take longer to recover from this uh, and you could stay stay sick for longer. Mm-hmm. So there's two things. Your recovery is shocking and it could take you four weeks to get over that, that stress that you put yourself under, that load, and it's not like it's an hour and a half crit race. Mm. It's, a, you know, it's, a, it's up there with the hardest thing you'll do um, on a bike, um, you know, guys are really struggling who are fully fit and healthy mm-hmm. by the end you know yeah. so so there's so many uh negative outcomes that can happen uh, plus mentally you would feel like you haven't achieved anyway because you're finished well down the field because you can't perform yeah so they're the things you need to think about when you're making those decisions yeah. and and nick's nick's made that decision understanding all those things what are the positives well the positives are he'll only be sick for this this small amount of time he will be better within seven days maybe instead of three weeks um his his recovery back into riding he hasn't got a he hasn't got an eight hour race under his belt so he's even though he wanted to do that race we we had a schedule that that meant he had to recover from that race before we started some easy training Mm. and once he's now healthy we can start the hard training straight away Mm -hmm. so we've already picked his next race which we've brought forward another race in january so so there's a whole lot of positive outcomes from the negative decision that he felt he'd made but um but you know having found out that his wife had covid you know it's pretty clear that he probably had covid no wonder he felt sick and imagine doing an endurance ride in hindsight if you found out you had COVID. Mm. And we did have someone do three peaks last March who didn't realise they had COVID till they got home and they clearly did the race with COVID. And and that really has knocked him around mm. for months afterwards. He's had good recovery period, started to train. As soon as we put intensity into his training, he's got sick again. Mm. And we don't know a lot about long COVID, but I feel that – that if you didn't know accidentally that you had COVID and you competed, it's not your fault. But the long-term effects of that, uh, I've seen since March, he has really had a roller coaster ride. Um, and had he known he had COVID, he would not have done that event and he possibly would not be in this situation six months later where we're still worried about giving him intensity because it might actually get him sick again. This is really what's caught my attention. I really want to get it out there. Yeah. Um, so people can, you know... Sure, feel sad and disappointed, but imagine how sad and disappointed you would be if for six months you actually can't compete properly for one race. There will be another race. Mm-hmm. There's always another race. Mm-hmm. There's an example I want to bring up and get your thoughts on, and that's uh, the Kona World Champs recently, Braden Curry, who was one of the favourites for um, the race. He came second at the World Champs in St. George earlier this year, or third, sorry, and he wanted to go better and win, and all his preparation was going towards Kona. He missed all the PTO races, all the lead-up races. He was just, he went to Hawaii early, 
And I'm just building this context because this for him was his, and for world champs for anyone is their golden race. But for him specifically, he had just he decided to forego any other um, any payments from PTO races, which the triathletes get paid really well. And he was putting all his eggs in the Kona basket. And then he got sick the week of Kona. Um, and he went a different route. He decided he started to come good again the last couple of days and decided to race. And he put a uh, thing up saying that he was really unsure. Did he want to aim for a DNS, did not start, or a DNF, did not finish? You know, would he rather start and then not be able to finish or would he rather just not start? And for him, because it was Kona, because it's the world champs, he decided to start and hope for a miracle. Um, halfway through the bike, he gets off. His team picks him up in a car devastating feeling um and in that sense he went a little bit of a different route same concept though it's an iron man it can really ruin your body um thoughts on that yeah and, and i totally understand his thought process and and i myself have done exactly the same thing and had a disastrous outcome and and that's the, the message that i want to prevent people from making the same mistakes you f- you you can make that decision to have a crack and that's admirable but it's actually foolish and and i'm not criticizing him as a person i'm just criticizing his decision and and you have to experience it yourself once because he'll never do that again he'll never start a race ever again because he now knows from first-hand experience the outcome so so that tells you what nick did was really mature decision and i'm I'm really wrapped and i've told him great decision and it's a great example of of how you understand as a coach you know, you've had to you've had to have this argument with yourself, um, and you've made the right decision, and and you you'll you know you won't live to regret this. Whereas you know, I'm not sure how how much it's affect uh, uh, Curry's um, you know future, but hopefully it hasn't had too much of an impact. But the result was the same, wasn't it? To a degree, and I will defend his decision a little bit. I think that based on when he pulled out. Um, and what he said about it was that once he realised he couldn't push the power numbers, he basically called it then. He didn't push his body beyond that. So, But my question, George, would be what did he think being sick – he could still be 100%. I think he was just hoping for a miracle. I think he was, I know, you know, But logic yeah. says... Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. If yeah. you're still not 100%, why would you think you can perform at 100% of your ability? And again, I don't know the insights. My In in that position, I would think if there's a 1% chance that I just suddenly come good and I get on the bike and I can hit my numbers, unbelievable. And yeah, I, I absolutely understand that as well because yeah. I have done that mistake. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I'm not sitting here saying oh, I didn't do that. The only reason why I'm so adamant about it is because I did do that. Yeah. And... I haven't done it since yeah. and and every time I think about it before that you know I would say oh yeah I have a crack that would be my attitude I would have the same attitude I've trained for this don't matter how I'm feeling I want to be in it because uh, I'm competitive and I want to see what's going to happen and I did it and I performed shocking mm. and the result was just the you know the worst outcome and still I still think about that result mm-hmm. as a you know and in hindsight, I said this to Nick, people will be saying, you know, you know, just see how you go. And you go, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. And then when they ask you how you went <laughs> yeah. and you went, I went terrible, and they'd say, well, well how come? You said, oh, because I was sick. And now what they say, why did you start? Yeah, exactly. The same people who said yeah. have a go, yeah. and then they're saying, why did you start? Yeah. So it's like, you know, it, you can't win with this, so you've really got to bite the bullet. And, oh, it's a tough decision. Yeah. But, but that – 
that's what's caught my attention for this. Yeah, no, that's great. Moving on, what has caught my attention, and again, we could talk about the 70.3 world champs, um, honourable mentions to Taylor Nib, who just dominated the women's field, and Christian, who had his revenge race. and That's remarkable in itself. <laughs> came back from Kona three weeks later. Gustav couldn't do it after winning Kona. Um, couldn't back it up. Christian has said on record that he tends to race better after racing more. And so that is incredible after racing at Kona. Well, I just think we need to put an asterisk here. He is a one-off. Yeah. <laughs> so don't try and emulate. You know, it's like one of those things. Don't do this at home. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because this is remarkable. Yeah. I, I don't think people understand how difficult Kona was. And he went deep. And he wasn't, you know, when you're going that deep and and pushing yourself to try to perform better – to come back only three weeks later from the hardest race in the world at Kona, that is the hardest race in triathlon, without doubt. I mean, Utah's pretty pretty hard as an Ironman as well, yeah. but it's just not the same as yeah. Kona. But yeah. for him to come out and dominate like he did it was and be challenged and still still come back with the goods was pretty spectacular. Sorry. No, that's Rest. fine. We, uh, we saw a lot of the Kona athletes who tried to back it up um, generally perform well, but just just struggled to hit that top end, which you need to at a world championship. Uh, but what I wanted to talk about was the New York Marathon, which was ran over the weekend. And um, again, quick notable mention in the women's race, it was very, very close. I think it was 16 seconds between first and second, which is just so brutal at the end of first a marathon. Three. And the first three, and the next one was another nine seconds back or something. And... Um, they were together until basically they got to Central Park, which is the last few K, and um, there's a little bit of an uphill rise with 2K to go. And then it's just, it is a, I think it's an underestimated brutal course. New York Marathon it has so much elevation. It's a, a late start, so it's always um, mm, very hot yeah. if it's a hot yep. day. Um, so I just think anytime you're battling the last few K of a marathon, just it's got to be the most brutal thing. You know, most people are from 30K just suffering to get through. Imagine having to race for a title at that point. Um, just crazy. Anyway, in the men's side, uh, the Brazilian Daniel do Nascimento. Nascimento or Nascimento. I don't know how. To I really like your Spanish, Joe. <laughs> pronounce it. Well, it's Portuguese, technically, in Brazil. But um, he is a runner that has a PB, clocked a PB in the last 12 months of 204, which makes him the fastest non African born runner of all time. Um, and he went out in the first few K and bravely, courageously, slash, Naively, foolishly, <laughs> took off from the field, which doesn't usually bode well in a marathon. Um, the front packs together. Normally, it's the front packs together, and everyone's running at the leader's pace. Who can who can run a two hundred three or a two hundred five or two hundred eight, depending on the course, and everyone just hangs on for as long as they can. And he took off in front of them. And, I love his confidence, and didn't just get a little bit clear. He got 100, 200, 300, 400 meters clear of them. Two um, minutes clear at one point. Mm, I don't know if you knew that. Yeah, um, you ran a one hundred one half. Ran. First 10K in sub 30. Yep. Um, yeah, and a 101 22 half marathon. So on world record pace um, at New York, which is not a fast course uh, in the heat. Um, and as you would expect, uh, 32K mark comes and he disappears. And the cameras actually kind of missed it to start with because it just happened so suddenly. But uh, he basically managed to get a replay and he basically just stopped suddenly and collapses on the side of the road. And reports have now said that. Uh, he was completely dehydrated, um, severely fatigued, spent a few hours in the hospital tent getting rehydrated, IV drip, and he has made a recovery already, reports say. Um, but just pushed himself too hard, and it was, it was an extremely hot day um, on the day. But interesting to see this tactic, and um, there's two arguments here. One tiny argument in his favour is that he's giving it a crack. He's a pro runner at the top of the field. 
he can run a 204, so he was going for it. Um, didn't work out for him. He probably went too hard because going for world record pace on that course is probably a little bit too ambitious, um, even if you are a 204 runner. Um, he's still young. He's only 24 years old, so he's got a lot of uh, potential in him if he gets his pacing right. He ran a f- he clocked a 4.17 mile, I think. Fastest ever in a marathon in the history of marathon. Which I said he doesn't count because he didn't finish because anyone can sprint it. <laughs> <laughs> sprint and not finish. You know? got, got plenty of fun runners who've done that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, interesting to see. And I think for anyone else but the top 10 runners to try something like that is, we just want to make this point, is just absolutely foolish and don't do it. Um, Lots of admiration yep. for, for the confidence and guts, but uh, the percentage game, it, it's, it's a bad one. It's a, it's a bad mistake, and I guarantee he won't ever do that again. Well, you say that, but he actually did similar at the Tokyo Olympics and same result, so you would... Well, I didn't know that stat. Yeah. <laughs> so um, maybe he takes two goes at yeah, it before yeah. he realises that that's a tactic that won't work. And look, if he's that confident, back yourself with a better plan. Yeah. And, you know, stay with the pack and then from halfway, run away from them. Yeah. But uh, give yourself a bit more opportunity. So, yeah, you know, even the best pros get it wrong. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and, yeah, you can't underestimate how much the heat um, factors into it and – um, he might have been able to do those kind of paces in training, but not under these conditions. So interesting to look at. And I think the lesson is you can take a calculated risk if you're a pro runner, something like that. But any other runner, no matter what the distance, marathon, half marathon, 10K, you know our principles. No amateur runner should ever be going out faster in their first half than their second half. Yeah, and look, if you know a little bit about the history of that race and if, you, if you're really a student of running, you would know what races... I've been one and running, and that race is never one fast. Mm. It's never one fast. That's something you need to take into consideration. So, and in, in the end, the men's race was one in two oh eight. Five guys were between two oh eight and two ten. Yeah. So, and they're That's guy, quite, yeah, they're guys who've all run fast. Yeah. They've run. The, win- the winners' PB is two oh three, I think. So. Yeah. So, so it's literally four to five minutes slower on that course than any other course. So. Why would you go out trying to run 202 pace on a course when your PB is already 204? Mm. You're actually trying to beat your, your PB on a course that's renowned for being four to five minutes slower. So that's actually, I think, naive and not giving it the respect that it deserves. Mm. And, a, and a shout out to one of our Trivalo athletes who travelled from Australia to New York, Rachel, and had an outstanding run and um, was kind of a little bit concerned about, you know, was my time good? Um, and I'm saying in perspective, uh, you know, it's outstanding what you did uh, to be able to hold your pace within 10 or 15 seconds per mile from start to finish is is a credit to you on that undulating, you know, humid, humid course. So, so yeah, well done. And, and uh, you know, she's a, she's a weapon of endurance and, and loves, loves to do that. And her time was the same, four to five minutes slower than her PB at another course. And yeah. that's the disappointing thing because she wants to be beating her. But I've got to point out the perspective thing. You know, you can only compare New York with New York the next time. You can't compare New York to Berlin. Berlin's pretty much downhill. Yeah. You know, so that's where everybody goes to run a PB. Mm-hmm. And, and that's that's what doing your homework, that's what planning and preparing is about. Yep. And credit to her especially because uh, the, the – 
slower time filters down. So for the pros, it's five minutes, you know, but down to the amateur and age grouper, um, I was reading comments from people online saying they were 10 or 15 minutes slower than um, their, PBs. Than their PB or people that it was slower just because of the heat, you know, 10 minutes slower mm. than their New York time because of the heat. And there's a YouTube runner that I follow and he was 15 minutes off his pace. And granted, you don't know what their preparation was like, whether they're in form or not, but mm. that seemed to be the general consensus across the board. So it's a big factor to take in. And let's get into the main topic of today, what we uh, some education for you, and that is how to warm up for a race. This was uh, an athlete emailed us and actually gave us the idea for um, the podcast and said, what, what should I specifically be doing in a sprint triathlon compared to a longer distance triathlon? And so we thought we'd go through some examples of how to warm up for a race, what the purpose of the warm up is, and then go through some different distance examples of what you might do. And the warm up is very, very important. And it's, it's in my opinion, severely underestimated. Um, and it's, it's, really sets you up for the day not just physically but mentally so i mean take us through the basic principle what is the what's the purpose of the warm-up for you well i think i should start with an example and that that means more to people than me just trying to give a verbal answer about physiologically what it's doing well we can talk about that as well but but i use the example of a couple of the guys that we coach um because of their time constraints we have a thursday night um swift race and it starts at quarter past six Melbourne time, PM, Thursday nights. And a lot of guys get to the start line at uh, 11 past six or eight past six, and they have literally a 30-second warm-up or a four-minute warm-up. And other people who've got the time um, from work are starting at 5.30 if they're warm-up for 45 minutes. And the correlation between performance and warm-up is enormous. The people who have had time to warm-up end up having a better result and the people who are really short in on time and just basically spend the first five minutes of the race trying to keep up because they actually are so not ready for the intensity um, and it really mucks up their whole race Um, and and if you keep doing that every week you actually get better at it which is kind of interesting Um, and some guys that's what they do each week for the whole season because they can't do anything about it. It's not intentional. It's to do with their work and time commitment. So they're not in t- intentionally trying not to warm up. It's just that that's, that's what they're left with. But their body does adapt, which is quite interesting to me, that they actually eventually really uh, use some tactics and, and technical ways to sit in early um, to see if they can warm up in the actual race, um, which is it takes a little bit of talent to be able to do that. And if we pick a race that's got a hill straight away, then they're gone. <laughs> yeah. They've got no chance of, of riding at the intensity. Yeah. And then once five or ten minutes is gone in the race, their legs come back. And you've had the experience yourself when you're starting a training session and you're thinking, I am my legs feel dead. Um, how am I going to do this high-intensity session? So you start by you know, negatively saying, oh, I'll, I'll just have a go. And then you, you do the 10-minute or 15-minute just building, the, building the, the intensity from 40% up to 70% of your FTP, just gradually building it up, you know, starting with a really easy cadence and then eventually letting your cadence get faster and faster. And you know, I'm, I definitely start around 70 for the first minute or two and I'm not even trying to ride with high cadence. I'm not trying to push the power. I'm just letting my legs dictate how soon I can actually increase the cadence and increase the power. That's the method that I'm trying to get everybody we coach to use and letting your body dictate when you're ready to do the next bit. So I'm trying to give a, a, a general start of 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 5 minutes, depending on the actual session. If it's a high-intensity session, I want the warm-up to be longer. 
if it's a zone two session, the warm ups tiny mm-hmm. because the majority of the session is similar. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's a recovery session, there's no warm up. It's yeah. just it's just rolling your legs. Um, so the warm ups dictated to by the intensity of the event, whether it's training or whether it's racing. Um, so there's a lot to cover here, but definitely if you if you uh, give yourself more time to prepare your body physiologically, but where the blood blood is is flowing a lot better, your your whole bo- body temperature has in, in, increased to a point where you actually have started to get a little bit of a sweat, a little bit of a puff, um, and then um, neuromuscularly we do something which is really different to anybody else that I know and I'm going to give this secret away, um, which is we do three strength efforts at really low cadence in our warm-up. And that sounds counterintuitive to, you know, I don't want to be doing my race in the warm-up. I want to warm up so I can race. But I've found through so many experiments on myself where if I don't do these low cadence, high intensity efforts, I perform worse in the event. So it's been the bread and butter that I, I've used and implemented in a lot of the warm-ups that we do, depending on whether you're a runner or a swimmer or a rider. But but you need to do something with intensity and, and a little bit of strength. So you are actually recruiting. And the reason we do it on the bike as a strength effort is we, we want to pull up and push down. So we're recruiting every muscle fiber and tissue and cell that we can actually uh, get along board with us and and that will actually feels like you're you're breaking the shackles mm. in your legs. And That's a great analogy. It's exactly what it feels like. Yeah, and and you, it feels like you've burst through, and and all of a sudden, because we've done the, a little bit of a, a ten or fifteen minute building the power and the cadence, then we've done a little bit of a ramp where we've gone from seventy to eighty to ninety to one hundred one hundred ten percent for a couple of minutes each, and then we have a little bit of a rest. Then we do these three high intensity low cadence efforts and. When you get to those, you actually know straight away if you if you're on on song with the numbers there, you know your next main set, you're gonna have a good one. Mm-hmm. And if you're not going well there, that's a decision where I'll go, Well, I need to be at the bottom of the range today, my main set, because I'm not feeling it when I do these. But but sometimes the first one feels crap and then the second and third feel way better. And you can't even push and in my example for me, I'm trying to push three fifty to four fifty watts for that thirty seconds. So my first effort is barely three fifty, three sixty. I am struggling. And then have the minute and a half rest. And next thing you know, I'm doing four hundred for the next thirty seconds. Mm-hmm. But it feels the same as three fifty. Mm-hmm. And then after I have my rest period I do the next one. The effort feels like 350, but here I am doing 450. And that example just proves to me how easy it is for your body to adapt straight away. And then once you start the race, if you're doing a time trial, as an example, and I'm trying to ride the time trial at 280, how easy, it feels like you're slicing through butter. Mm -hmm. How easy does 280 feel after you've done an effort at 350, 450? And so all of a sudden you're on top of your game. And, and you're not spending any time in your main event or race warming up. Warming up. Mm. You are actually, right from the very first pedal revolution, you're at your race, pace, intensity, temperature. And I can't tell you how many times um, I've felt average in all the all the 30 second efforts you know mo- most of the time it's 
like you said, the first one feels average, but then the second one you're better and actually you're pushing higher and the third one feels quite good. Um, but it definitely has happened plenty of times where all three of them felt average, but you just got through them and then you have enough recovery for the race. And then once you start the race, you go, oh, I'm actually feeling really good compared to that because you push through that bit of a grind of a warm up, um, and you really got your body ready. And you mentioned there that a lot of people are worried that they are racing in their warm up um, when you want to warm up to race. And I would say that you just have to make sure you're also planned enough and you've thought about the timings that you give yourself enough recovery. The big mistake you can see with these kind of efforts is you're doing it three minutes out from the race. You've still got a bit of lactate build up in there. You've still got a bit of fatigue. You're still Your heart rate's still high. And you're kind of a little bit panicked leading to the race, you know. We kind of give ourselves anywhere from six to eight up to 12 minutes um, rest after that final effort for a race. Not so much for a training session. For a training session, it's two or three minutes because you're just getting into it. But for a race, you're really making sure you're well recovered, but not so long that you cool down in that recovery period. Um, and spreading spreading out the, the warm-up. Um, so if, you're, if you've got to the event and you're late, I've found people will try to cram in those those mm. ramps and the 30 second efforts in five minutes and have, instead of having a 30 second effort with a minute or two minutes rest, they're having 15 seconds mm. rest and then doing it again. And that's actually not what we're trying to do. We're trying to do an effort, then let your body just relax again and then do another effort. So cramming it in, if that's all you've got the time to do, don't try and do the whole thing in seven minutes. Yeah. You know, just pick a couple of little efforts once you've felt like your legs are coming good. So there's a, yeah. And look at, again, it depends on what yeah. event. Yeah. And we will go through that now. I mean, generally the aim when we're talking about um, shorter events, races, time trials, shorter running events, you know, that feeling that you're aiming for is let's say you finish your last effort eight minutes out. Uh, you're puffing. My heart rate might be 160, 170, quite high. You know, you're quite tired, but you know you've, you're fully warm. You're physically warm. Your muscles are switched on. You feel good. And you've got a full eight minutes to recover. So in that eight, eight minutes, you actually do stay physically warm, but your heart rate goes right down. So you're really calm going to the start line, but your body is totally warm. And it, it's dependent on the person. Again, I've found that sort of time frame works well for me, but you've got to figure out what time frame works well for you that you can stay warm, um, but you've got enough time to recover. And there's one little concept I want to touch on quickly before we go into the distances. And that's this concept uh, that is well known among training groups. And that is the second rep um, kind of myth that if you look at so many reps, let's say you've got eight times 400 or, or six times 1K or something, so often the second rep is the fastest. And it's just always so funny how that happens because you might not have completely warmed up or dialed your warm-up routine in. You do the first, but you get to the start line of the training session. You can do your first rep, do your first K. It feels good, um, but you're not totally warmed up. Then you have a couple minutes rest. And then that second rep, you're still quite fresh in the session. Um, it's a combination of that fresh feeling, but you are totally warmed up. You do a really good rep. It feels really good. Um, and it, at the end of the session, it turns out that was the fastest rep because you were still the most fresh whilst being the most warmed up. And I think that's a really fascinating concept. Oh, you took the words out of my mouth because that was one of the things I wanted to mention was, um, again, I'll use an example because it makes more sense. Um, uh, one of my training partners and I, years ago, uh, we were doing preparation for the Tour of Bright and we wanted to do uh, three 10-minute hill repeats at the end of our three-hour ride. And we went to a well-renowned hill called Perrins Creek Road up at up in the Dandenongs where we locally live. And it's about a 10-minute effort if you're riding quite solid. And if you're really racing up it to try and do a PB, you could do 
for me, I'm talking about 8.20 or something, 8.30 or 8.40, somewhere around there. So the distance time is, you know, from your best to your to your mediocre is a minute and a half depending. And it's it, it's a gradient of about 7% anyway. The point I'm making is we we did at least three hours of riding in the hills, 2,000 metres of climbing, all zone two, pressure on the pedals, and we were to finish off with three times 10 minutes up Perrins Creek Road. And they were supposed to be incrementally, progressively getting harder. So the first one at 75 to 80% FTP, second one at 90, third one, go for it, see what you got. And remember, this is at the end of 2,000 metres of climbing, and I've never, that third rep, I've never beaten that third rep. That is my PB for that hill. It's the third time up it after 2K of climbing and Sean's is the same. And that to me was like an aha moment about warming up. Mm-hmm. So so it was only a 10-minute effort. It was, a, it, was a, you know, it was the 20 to 30-minute effort really. Mm. So I'd done 10 and I'd done 20 and this was 20 to 30 and I wasn't mucking around with the other two. But to, be, to do a PB in the middle of a training session at the end of it after all that climbing was to me – the body will perform so much better later if you let it mm. warm up properly. Mm-hmm. So, so if I'd have done that at the start of the session, I can guarantee you I would have got nowhere near that time or the power that I pushed. How many times have you done that climb, you reckon, in your life? Uh, over 300 times. Yeah. <laughs> and that's still your PB. It's still my PB. Yeah, and I've done it as a as a, an attempted PB yeah. and not got really that close. Yeah. And a lot of the athletes from St. George actually had similar comments um, exactly talking about this because it was freezing temperatures at St. George. It's really starting to get into the cooler temps in America, getting mm. into winter. Um, it snows in Utah a lot. And, yeah, it was freezing and they were all wearing – a bunch of them wearing long sleeve tri suits, um, calf sleeves, um, gloves. Gloves. Um, a lot of them were wrapping up in transition and taking more time because of how cold it was. And a lot of them commented on the fact that it was really hard to get warm on the bike. They just couldn't get, find their legs, or a lot of them found their legs over halfway through the bike leg, which just again shows the impact of a warm up. And if you ever try to race in cool temperatures, you know exactly that feeling and, and really how important it is to warm yourself up. Yeah, it's a really great example you used. And uh, it was interesting watching some of the athletes, uh, their tactics. Um, uh, should I get dressed? Should I not get dressed? Should I overdress? Um, and Christian, because of his – not his strength is his swim. So he wasted no time, didn't put any clothes on, basically just got out of transition. And he made up a minute and a half in transition – Whereas everybody else was getting gloves and, and getting warm and doing the right thing, in my opinion. But Christian's gone, no way. This is a great opportunity for me to get rid of the deficit I had in the swim. And he was with the lead pack. And and his theory was, which I actually thought was hilarious, was I'll just ride harder to get warmer. <laughs> and boy, that's exactly what he did. And again, don't copy what he does. This <laughs> yeah. is this is not, not a good idea. Yet in the in the women's race, the winner put on a long sleeve uh, cycling top over the top of her tri suit, and then I saw one of the other athletes wearing a, a bathing suit, and she said later she was freezing. Mm. All she had was a, a bathing suit on, mm. um, and I, I th- it would have definitely affected her performance for yeah. sure. And and look, I I know the people who are in the penalty box, they would have got cold standing there, and then trying to get warmed up again after standing there for five minutes when you've been sweating and hot and you know what happens with 
the sweat, it cools down on you, it yeah. makes you colder. Yeah. Um, so, so that would be really hard if you've, you know, if you've had to be stopped for some reason, whether it's a mechanical or a penalty, you are actually trying to warm up again in the race. And if you try to ride too hard too soon, you get the same problem that you have when you don't have a, have a warm up. Um, I had that exact experience yesterday when we finished the session and um, normally on a bunch ride, but by the time you get to the coffee shop, it's, it might be, you know, a lot later in the day, the sun's out, so you and can not warm 6:30 up. It's at not the finish. It's not six thirty in the morning, and you're pouring sweat. So my clothes are soaked. Sat at the coffee store for ten minutes. Tried to ride. It was the most uncomfortable ride home because you're soaking wet, and you've got this bitter cold kind of wind. on even though it was a warm day yesterday, it, it really mm. is uncomfortable. And again, just reiterates this point. And the second point I wanted to make about uh, we were talking about how important the warm up is. Um, you mentioned that you know you don't want to do your race in the warm up. Mm. You'd, you'd just rather have all of your, your energy ready for the race. But if you train this way over a long period of time, your body will adapt to this style of warm-up. It will be a shock early on in your career, but if you really persist and do the warm-up the way I'm suggesting, your body will cope. It'll adapt. Well, let's go through some distance examples uh, because this principle of, of this quite hard warm-up really doesn't actually apply to every single distance. So um, it applies to a lot of the shorter races. Um, but yeah, let's go through some specific race examples. We want to go through cycling, triathlon, and running examples to clarify what kind of warm-up is appropriate for what. So the, the example we've been giving this whole time about these big efforts um, – doesn't apply to the longer stuff, Ironman, half Ironman, but let's go through it. So we'll start with cycling and basically the two main distance differences will be if you're doing a short race, like a, a time trial, which can be between 20 and 40 minutes um, up to you know an hour crit race compared to a road race that might be 90 minutes to two and a half hours plus. So how does the warm up differ once you go from that short distance to long distance for purely cycling? Yep. So your initial statement is 100% accurate. So the warm-up is dictated to by the time of the event. So if the event is two hours plus, then the warm-up all of a sudden becomes less significant because one of the things we skipped over a little bit was what is the purpose of the warm-up? The warm-up is to get your body ready for the expected intensity of the event. That's actually what the warm-up's meant to be doing. So if you're doing an Ironman, the expected intensity is around 60 to 70% all day. So, so you need to get your body to that state. If your activity that you're going to warm up for is a five-minute pursuit on the track or, or a 100-metre sprint or an 800-metre um, or a 20-minute 20 20 time trial, your intensity is going to be at maximum for the duration of that event. So you need to be getting your body up to your maximum intensity. Mm -hmm. So if you can understand that concept, everything else will make sense. So from that point of view, the question is, the longer the event, the less warm-up we do. But but how much warm-up should you still be doing? Mm -hmm. um, so taking the cycling. Um, so if we're doing an endurance event such as uh, a Grand Fondo, um, that might be five hours, six or seven hours, or even three peaks, which could be 10 hours, if you had the opportunity and you – because a lot of these events you need to line up in, that is a real issue mm -hmm. um, with the warm-up because you could warm up and because there's 5,000 people in the event or 500, it's important to get near the front so that you're not having to fight your way through traffic for the rest of the ride. So so there's a lot of tactics going. Um, so you need to actually 
warm up as close to your start time as possible and still be able to get near the, the front of the race to start with. How do you do that and what should you do? Well, if I use the example of uh, when you go to an event, you normally are in a hotel um, and that is part of the, the preparation is getting the hotel location as close as you can to the warm-up. So you've got the option of having a toilet right there and you could have your, your stationary trainer in the room. Mm-hmm. So you could go and put your bike down at the start line, hang it over the fence near the start if it's a Grand Fondo we're talking about. And every Grand Fondo has rails with uh, advertising, shoot. Mm-hmm. And so you can just hang your handlebars over at the front. Mm-hmm. And this has been done many times where if you walk from the back with your bike trying to go through people to get to the front, people will go, what are you doing? Mm. I'm not letting you through. Mm. I've lined up for hours here. Mm. Why am I going to let you through? But if you walk through without a bike to say, excuse me, people will let you pass. Yeah. Yeah. And so therefore you go to, your, to, to where your bike's hanging over. So that enables you to, to go to the toilet as much as you want because your, your location's right there and you can jump on your trainer and get there five minutes before or 10 minutes before the start been just rolling your legs over on the trainer. If you're doing a 10-hour event, you basically only need to roll your legs over and maybe do one or two efforts that have got some low cadence with high intensity. That's about all you need to do. So, you know, five minutes of rolling your legs over and one or two little short efforts is fine for an endurance race. Mm -hmm. That's the difference between a long warm-up and a short warm-up. And so moving that theory into triathlon because you've got, you know, you're trying to be warm for the swim because that's what you're starting with, but you also want to have some legs in the ride and run. How do you warm up for a triathlon? And then that's the first question. And then specifically a sprint up to Olympic 70.3 endurance, uh, Ironman. Okay. So we work backwards because we just spoke about the endurance ride. So the endurance triathlon, which would be the Ironman or long course or half Ironman, the, the three things I like to make ask people do, I don't make people do anything, <laughs> I advise them to, if they can, park their car or get dropped off and ride a small section t- to the venue. Mm-hmm. Some races, your bike has to be in overnight, so that's impossible. Mm-hmm. So therefore, a good walk is still a good thing to do. And that's your like five or ten minutes of easy aerobic exercise, whether you're riding a bike or whether you're running or swimming, doesn't matter. So as long as you can get five or 10 minutes of some movement, so you're actually getting the blood flow around your legs um, and riding is a good way to do it, but walking is actually okay as well. Don't make that too long. Um, so we only need five to 10 minutes of that. And then once you've, once you've got your bike and stuff set up and you're happy with everything, then you should go and do a, a little bit of a run um, with a couple of stride throughs. Um, and that's about it, like two or three minutes with a couple of stride throughs um, with your other pair of shoes that aren't in the transition mm-hmm. um, that you should have in your bag. Mm-hmm. Um, we've had also the opportunity to have park close to an event and you can have your trainer with another bike yep. and just warm up that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but you just need to be rolling your legs over. And it does stop you from getting anxiety anyway with yeah. standing around. Yeah. You know? Again, very short time though. Is the key. Very short time. Yeah. And then you need to get into the water and if it's an if it's an Ironman or a 70.3, you need to swim for two or three minutes and then do one or two 10 to 20 second efforts where you're actually huffing and puffing for 20 seconds or 30 seconds. Um, and then give yourself five minutes 
between the end of that and the start of your swim. So it's a really low-key warm-up. It involves all three sports, but it's a really low-key one. Yeah. Um, so that you actually, by the time you get to the swim, you feel like you've done a little bit of a half-hour training session, which mm-hmm. involved three sports. Mm-hmm. Um, so we do the same method for each of the disciplines, whether it's Olympic distance, sprint, half Ironman or, or Ironman, but we change the intensity. So if I was doing, the, let's go the extreme from Ironman down to a, a super sprint. Which a sprint is still <coughs> a an hour and a half to some people, yep. an hour for the for the winners. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, 50 minutes to an hour. Yep. Um, so we don't want to overdo it still, but we still, we really want to know that we when we swim, we're going to be swimming flat out. When we get on the bike, we're going to be riding at our, our best intensity. And when we get off, we want to run at our best 5K. So we want to, as I said before, um, the intensity of the event has to match the warm-up. So you would be wanting to warm up with some stride-outs that reflect your 5K running pace Mm -hmm. with some, you know, 400-metre, three uh, 30-second stride-outs in that. So you would do three of those for a sprint Mm -hmm. um, with a – Sorry, not 400 metres each sprint. Um, uh, 400-metre pace, I meant to say, for 30 seconds. So 10, 20 or 30-second efforts at your 400-metre pace. Um, So with a good break in between. And then you would jump in the water and do a little bit more swimming – maybe four or five minutes, and then you would do definitely three hard efforts at 30 seconds where you are sprinting like you are in the start of this race. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not just a, you know, a, a lift the intensity 30 second. It's flat out sprinting um, so that you, you get out of the water and you line up for your event. And then the, when you jump in the water, you've already done three of those you know, five minutes ago. Your body's ready for the next one, even mm-hmm. though I don't want you to sprint mm-hmm. at the start of, of a sprint race or, or any race for that matter I want you to take off at the pace you're going to swim from start to finish but there are times where you might have to be sprinting for 10 seconds just to get placing or on someone's feet so so for the sprint race we want to still do the same ride to the venue Um, there's no need to do any intensity on the bike it's just you warming yourself aerobically Mm -hmm. you get your intensity from the stride throughs on the run and from the efforts in the, in the water. And depending on how you are as a swimmer, I personally, swimming is my weakest leg, so I won't or would not prefer to do any more than two minutes of just general swimming to start yep. with. Um, would rather just minute, minute and a half, maybe two minutes, and then some short little efforts. So what you're saying is great, but everybody has got to find out the way that suits them best. So try to do one race that's not so important, a little bit longer warm-up, um, and all the, all the C and B races, practice shorter warm-up, longer warm-up and experiment to see what it feels like and then use for your A race, the one that you feel gave you the best opportunity to perform better. And then let's take that example um, and apply it to just purely running. So uh, if you're doing a 5K, a 10K, again, up to half marathon or marathon, same principle I, I, I know you're going to say, but um, how do you just do a run warm-up because you're just doing a running race? Yep, so let's start with the, the longer version first. Um, so if you're warming up for a marathon, I would definitely be wherever my car's parked or if I'm staying in a hotel, I would want to have a period where I'm walking um, as as my preparation for the long endurance event. And for some people, the marathon might be anywhere between two hours, 20 and five hours. That could be the range of person we're talking about. Um, so, you know, if you're going to be out there for five hours, you just don't need any warm up. You, you basically would be a walk to the start line and line up and then start your race. If you know you're going to be out there for five hours, 
I'm saying use the first kilometre or two as your warm-up. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't want to expend any more energy than you need to. You're going to be running 42.2. As a five-hour runner, you don't want to be running 45K on the day. Okay, so so if you're a, if you're a three or four to four hour, then you know it should be a five to six minute warm up mm-hmm. um, with with an easy walk jog and then maybe one stride through just to feel your legs. Um, the closer you get, and I'm talking about just the marathon here, the closer you get to a faster time, three hours and under, a couple more stride throughs is what I would suggest, and a little bit longer warm up. So that when you have to run, if you're going to run 248, you're four-minute K pace. Mm-hmm. If you're going to run three hours, you're 412 pace. Mm-hmm. So you need to be actually ready to run 412 pace from the gun. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you're a, a four-hour runner, you're you're aiming for five 550 mm-hmm. pace. So that's where your warm-up should be. Um, so again, you try to reflect the intensity you're going to have. So, so um, the higher the intensity – the more intent should your warm-up be. But it doesn't have to be long. Um, so equally different if you're doing an 800, we're going to the complete other what spectrum, the warm-up should be at least half an hour mm. or more. For a two-minute race. For a two-minute race. Yeah. So I'm trying to give you mm-hmm. the extremes here. And, and from an 800 in between, it's you know 3K, 5K, 10K, half marathon, the warm-up you know, gets – shorter in time and less intense as you go towards the marathon but the shorter the event the more the intensity of the that doesn't mean the whole half hour is intense (laughs) i'm saying there are sections such as we would you possibly could spend 10 or 15 minutes just doing a cruisy run at at five minute k pace if you're trying to run an 800 um you know 435 minute k pace where you're just getting your breathing going you could be talking while you while you're running you could be jogging with a mate before the event, and that's a good thing to do as well. Take your mind off it, run with someone, very easy. And then you would you would finish that and you'd probably sit and do a few stretches maybe, um, but then after that um, you would get ready for some almost like a ramp where you would do a little bit longer, two minutes with a bit of intensity like you've done in your, in your uh, training sessions uh, during the week, and you would do some at 70%, 80%, 90%, 100%, some some stride outs and then you would do some proper efforts where you are really running hard like you are going to feel at the start of this event in the 800 if if you're trying to run a two minute 800 you're going to run 30 seconds per 200 so your stride out should be at 30 second pace or better um, in your Mm warm-up and you need to do three of them spaced apart by two or three minutes yeah um and and 150 meters is what I recommend. Not doing 200, but you know, jumping out of the out of the box in your warm up, and then just getting up to speed and striding out beautifully like you would be in the race, giving yourself a little rest. And this needs to be at least 10 minutes before you start, yeah. at least because you don't want to be doing them and then getting straight on the start line. And then that you just apply that principle to five and 10k. So let's say it's 10k and you're trying to run 4:30 pace, you want to be doing at least one 150 meter effort. Um, at just faster than that, four fifteen, four twenty pace, four ten. Yep. Um, yep. Yep. So, so you right from the start, we said we want the warm up to reflect the intensity of the event and the duration. So, the two two key things is the intensity and duration. So, yep. once you understand what event I'm doing, you can apply the principles we're telling you 
quite easily across whatever you, and we've given you the examples of, of how and what to do yeah to finish off with uh, we just did want to quickly touch on a you know if it's a multi-stage event and there's plenty of those around where you go and do a weekend where you do a, a road race in the morning time trial in the afternoon race again the next day um, can you give us a quick tip of in between races how do you warm up again because you've cooled down you've recovered you've got another um, race in the afternoon whether it's another crit or road race or time trial how are you changing your warm up to adjust yeah. it's a great point to make and it's really good that we finish off with this because people forget that there are multi-stage events happening all over the world and we've got one uh, here in uh, Victoria the Tour of Bright which we've talked about a little bit it has stage one which is a, a 100k with a hill climb top finish a 25-30 minute hill, top, hill climb top it's a bit of a brutal course um, you need to warm up for that and you need to finish that race and the thing we haven't talked about at all is cooling down after that um, so you need to actually finish that race it finishes at a hilltop top so you are actually pushing, you're sprinting to the finish at, and you've been just riding at threshold for the last 25 minutes. So you really need to let yourself cool down. So luckily that race is about 20 minutes from, the finish of that race is 20 minutes from there to where you would be staying. So most people would roll back home, even knowing cool down. Yeah. there's a time trial in the afternoon because this is what the Tour of Bright has. It has the road race in the morning and time trial in the afternoon. And so you would cool down and make sure that you then um, – uh, really getting into the recovery drinks and, and the yep. fueling. And then for your warm-up for the time trial, this is a bit different. So you actually don't need to do such a long warm-up, but you still need to do the efforts mm-hmm. uh, because your body's already at a, at a, a temperature level that's that's different to what it was at 5 a.m. in the morning. It, it's it's on the go already. So you're just trying to re-wake up your body. So so an easy roll out to the the venue is a good idea or if you're tra- doing the training on your motel turbo <laughs> you just start rolling your legs over you know for, for 15 minutes just easy rolling your legs over and slowly build up like you would in a training session during the week and then you would do a little mini ramp and then you would do your 330 second efforts and that is really the key to the time trial to make sure that y- if you're going to be riding at 280 watts you're doing your efforts at 350 to 450 so by the time you're ready to go and it should be only a five minute ride if you can manage it to the start line uh, if not you have to be in the car and that's okay you've still got yourself five to ten minutes that is all you need and off you go you should be able to ride you know at the intensity you need to and if you've got another race the next morning the cool down is really important you just don't get off your bike put your legs up and say i've got to get ready rest for tomorrow you actually need to roll your legs out again you see that every day in the t- in the grand tours where yes three straight weeks they're finishing six hour f- uh, stages which is just exhausting and they all disciplined get to the team bus jump on their bikes roll their legs yep. for 15 minutes or if they're at the top of a mountain stage yep. they will roll back down the hill mm-hmm. um, and ride back to the hotel yep. and you know anybody who's been to the the tour down under or any of the tours the tour, tour de France you would see the riders in packs riding back to the hotel yep. um, the elite are the GC guys, they've got their own turbo trainer right at the finish line. Yeah. But the other guys, they're still doing the same thing. It's just not in front of the camera. Yeah. They're riding back to the hotel as they're cool down. Yeah. Uh, it's not just because that's the only way they can get back to the hotel. It's because they want to cool down. Yeah. They could get driven back to the hotel, but that's not what they're, they're meant to be doing. So so then the next day, if, if you're doing a three-stage or a five-day, but I'm just talking about this this particular event. The next day, you would still not do a long warm up. You would you would just let your legs catch up again from the fatigue from the previous day, 
you would still do those three 30-second efforts um, just so that when you get to the start line, you are ready for anything and you will still be able to use some of the, the race because the start of the race is not generally it's if you know if it's a long day you're not going to be out of the blocks and you could be but that's why the 30 second efforts are really good because if that, that if that's what actually happens the race goes on from the start then you're ready mm-hmm. uh, for that so so as the days progress your warm up doesn't need to be as long um, and and there's so many variations here. I could be talking about a ten day ten yeah. stage race where you know most people you if they're in a ten stage race, unless they're going to be in the breakaway, everybody else in the pack is just rolling along talking. Mm-hmm. So that, you know you don't need to warm up. Yep. Um, you use the race as the warm up. Yep. But if you're just doing a three stage race where it's over two days, that's different. Um, and I've I've given guys different yep. warm ups for this. You know, day one is different to day two, just shortening. Um, aspects of it it's a great way to finish to summarize it's just think about the requirements of the intensity of the race and if the requirements are high you might need to be on it then those efforts need to be higher intensity and if it's you know it's most likely not going to going to be that then you don't need to do it and if you can apply that principle then you're going to be pretty good in your warm-up yeah and you know don't forget the intensity plus the duration is yep. what's 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 actually going to determine your warm-up that's a great way to finish been a big episode this one thanks as always for listening and we hope to see you next time <laughs>